So what do we do when our love tank is running empty? There, there's a popular idea that's been, been talked about in uh, the last couple of decades here about that, that each of us has an emotional tank. And so when the people around us are, are feeling down or even just on a regular basis, we want to make deposits. We want to make more deposits into the emotional tank than we make withdrawals. And that helps the people around us feel loved and stay content and happy. So that's a great idea, but the, the question is, what happens when my love tank is empty? When, when my tank is empty and I'm, I'm wanting to love the people around me well, but I'm just kind of depleted and I don't feel like I have anything to, to give. I mean, just to be honest with you, there are, there are moments in my life where I feel like that. This probably never happens for you, but for me, there are moments where I just feel like I'm depleted, don't have anything to give. This happens a lot for me, actually, um, at the end of the day, because I, I tend to be more of a morning person, and so by the end of the day, I'm winding down, and I'm just kind of ready to, to just hit the sack and get recharged for, for another day, and occasionally, like, one of my kids will, there will be a moment of drama, you know, at the end of the day. And so I'm confronted with this, and I'm thinking, I, you know, I know they need something right now from me, but I really don't feel like I have anything. So kind of, you know, my, my message, whether it's not verbal, it may not be verbal, but I'm just, you know, communicating to them, come on, just, just get to bed, because I need to get a good night's sleep, because tomorrow I need to be a great pastor, you know, so you get to bed, so I can be a great pastor tomorrow. You know, it just, it doesn't make any sense, but that's kind of the reality. So the, the question is, I mean, how can I, how can you stay filled up so that we have something to give to the, the people around us? And then, then the question becomes, like, how does this work with God? I mean, we've, we've been talking for the last uh, number of weeks about loving God. And, and Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. So what does it look like to love God even when I'm feeling depleted? Now, now let's be clear about one thing, talking about this emotional tank. I mean, God's tank never runs empty. Okay? So we're not trying to fill God's tank up. But Jesus said that we are called, God calls us to love him first and foremost and completely. And so how do I do that out of a heart that is very inconsistent and, and very imperfect. I, I don't know about you, if you've been with us over the last several weeks as we started looking at this verse, to, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For me, I've been very aware over the last several weeks that I am very imperfect at this. I am very imperfect at loving God consistently, constantly with all that is in me. Occasionally, I'll have, a, I'll have a really great day, and like, I'll, just, I'll have a day where I'm like, man, things are just clicking, and I'm feeling like my, my, my heart, I mean, just everything in me is just like, God, I just, I just want to please you with everything I'm doing. What can I do you know, more? I just want to love the people around me. I just want to obey you. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll have that for a day, and, and I don't know if you're like this. Uh, when, when that happens for me, I, I inevitably, I guess I'm just an eternal optimist, but I think maybe this is it. Maybe now, from now on, I'm going to feel this way every day. And then another day comes, and I'm just like kind of slipping back into doubt and frustration and, and just not trusting 
you know, what God has provided for me and not trusting sometimes when he asks me to do something. So there's just this ebb and flow and this up and down. And the question is, how do I love God out of that? Out of that inconsistency, out of that imperfection. So as we finish this series today, that's the question that we want to wrestle with. And if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some white ones there on your seats. Uh, page 1125 is where 1 John 4 is found. We, we've been looking at each of the, the parts of this command that Jesus gave to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And we started with heart, and we looked at the fact that our hearts tend to be divided and that we, we really need to ask God to give us a new heart, to create in us a new heart that would love him with, so we can love him with all of our heart and not just a splintered piece of our heart. And then we looked at our, our soul and we said that loving God more will turn our souls back to him. That soulish part of us, that kind of natural part that has appetites. We want to turn all of that over to God. And then last week we looked at our minds and we said we need to really think about what we're thinking about and take captive every thought. There, there are arguments, there are opinions that set themselves up against what God has said is true and we want to take captive every thought so that we can love God with more and more and more of our mind. So today I want to just say a few words about this final word of strength and talk about what that means before we talk about then how do we love God with with everything that we have in us. So this, this word strength, I, when, I, when I started thinking about this series and planning this series, I, I had an image in my mind of what strength meant, and I figured that strength had to do with our, the physical part of us. And I thought, won't this be, this will be nice and neat. You know, we'll, we'll talk about kind of the internal part of us, our heart and our soul and our mind, and then we'll talk about the externals. How do we live that out? And so I started studying the words, and unfortunately I realized that that wasn't what it meant. And so then I'm like, man, that just blew my whole idea of how this was going to go. So anyway, so let me just share with you what I discovered about what this word means, because it's more important that we understand what God says than what I thought God says. So when Jesus, this is going to be a little bit of a, a word study here too, so if you're a word nerd, you'll, you'll love this and you'll geek out on this. If you're not, just stay with me. Because this is, this is important. So Jesus, when he's talking about this greatest command, is quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And that is uh, a Hebrew scripture, part of the first five books of the law. And so Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, if we, if we put Mark 12, verse 30 back up alongside of that, you can see that it's a little bit different. It's just slightly different, okay? There, there's more, there are four categories in Mark. There's only three in, in the Deuteronomy Scripture, and they end with strength. One ends with strength, one ends with might. Why is this? Sometimes people look at this, and in fact, if we looked at Matthew and Luke, and we looked at Jesus giving the greatest command. They look a little bit different in all of those books. So sometimes people look at that and they say, well, see, this proves that the Bible is inconsistent and it's unreliable. But let's, let's talk about 
why these verses would look different, and it really comes down to the differences in languages. Okay, so in Deuteronomy, let's let's track with me here. Okay, Deuteronomy is written in Hebrew. Jesus spoke Aramaic, and so the writers of the Gospels are writing in Greek. So the Gospel writers are trying to capture in Greek what was spoken in Aramaic, what was originally written in Hebrew. Now, if you have studied a foreign language, you know that there's no one way to translate a sentence, unless it's a super simple sentence, but even then. So to translate a sentence from one language to another, there are different words to capture the same ideas, right? So that's what's going on here. That's why these words are a little bit different. And it so happens that Hebrew is a very rich, rich language. They pack a lot of ideas into very few words. Uh, languages have gotten much more specific since, since Hebrew, and we have more specific words. But the, the Hebrew words pack lots of ideas. So, for example, the word in Hebrew for heart can also mean mind. I mean, there's no easy, quick distinction like we're used to in, in our English words. So, so let's talk about that word strength and, and might and why that would look different. In the Hebrew... Actually, what, what it says is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your very. The word might is the word very. It's a modifier. Let me give you a couple of other instances where this shows up. In Genesis 1, chapter 31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Okay, it's a modifier. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So when we go to Deuteronomy 6.5, it says, love God with all of your heart and your soul and with all of your very, all of your muchness. And we could, we could translate that as Capacity. Really what it's getting at, when that word strength, that word might, really what it's getting at is another reinforcement of this word all. With all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your might, with everything that is in us. It's kind of like what, what happened, I think, for the writer of Deuteronomy is he, he didn't have a word to capture enough of what was in his mind, so he kind of just had to make up a new usage for a word that didn't exist because it, it was a category that was outside of what people were used to talking about. So that's what God is calling us to do. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, that this is a whole life saturation of love, that everything I do is to show love for God. There is nothing excluded. It's not that there's one part of my life that is sacred and spiritual, and there's another part that is secular, and we keep those separate. It's everything. It's all-encompassing. And so now the question is, how in the world, how in the world do I obey such a demanding command that demands all of me when I'm so imperfect and so inconsistent? That's where 1 John 4, 9, 19 comes into play. Now let's go to the verse that you looked up there. 1 John 4, 19, very short verse. We love because he first loved us. Why don't, you, why don't you say that out loud? Read that out loud with me. We love because he first loved us. 
See, I think sometimes we think we need to manufacture, we, we need to somehow try to draw out some kind of love out of us, um, manufacture it, you know, and give it to God. And the reality is that, that our love for God is fueled by his love for us. We have no hope of being able to obey this command that Jesus told us was the most important to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We have no hope of being able to obey that command if we are not filled with God's love for us first. His love comes first. We are filled with his love, and then we're just offering back to him something that he has placed inside of us. And so, when our love is imperfect, when we discover that our love is imperfect and, and inconsistent for the people around us and for, for God himself. When we discover that our love is imperfect, that means that we haven't yet received all of God's love that we need because his love is what fills us and fuels us to be able to love back. Let's, let's go back a little further in the same chapter in 1 John. Go back, 1 John chapter 4, go back to verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to breathe the propitiation for our sins. In this is love, verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. It's, I, I think sometimes we get so self-focused that we, we think, wow, I, sh I should be loving God more. I, I need to love God more. I need to, I need to kind of grind this out. We get so self-focused that we lose sight of the fact God is the one who loved us first. We, we need to turn our eyes from ourselves and our own failures to measure up to what God's asked us to do and look at what God has done for us. Because as we do that and as we receive his love, that's what fuels us to be able to love, love him back. That's a, a huge, it's a huge relief to me to know that God is the initiator and God sets the standard because I'm imperfect, but he is perfect. Go down again in that same chapter, chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. That's the second time it said those words there. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And here's our verse again. We love because he first loved us. You and I have no hope to be able to love God or anyone else until we receive his love, his perfect love that casts 
out fear. So, so rather than beating ourselves up for having an imperfect love for God, we, we should just spend more time receiving God's love for us, filling our minds with the, the idea and the reality of his love for us. Last week, we talked about loving God with all of our minds. We talked last week about arguments and lofty opinions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, what God knows to be true. And so there are many of us who have strongholds in our mind. We have opinions, ideas in our minds, beliefs in our minds that are not in conjunction, not in, uh, in concert with God's thoughts about his love. So some of us think, number one, that God is not loving, and that's the reason why we have all this terrible stuff in, in the world, not realizing that the reason there's terrible stuff in the world is because of sin, and God is at work to correct those things. But some people think God is unloving, or we think, well, maybe God is loving, but I could never receive his love. I'm not worthy. I'm too messed up. So God could never love me. Or I just don't feel loved, and therefore God is not loving. All of these strongholds that set themselves up in our minds, and so we need to apply what we learned last week and say we need to take those thoughts captive and replace them. So we're replacing the false thoughts and the lies with what God says is true about his love. And, and so uh, some of these things that we're, we're talking about here, these verses that, that we're reading we, we need to take time and marinate in these. We just kind of let sit and let them into our minds and let them soak down in our hearts to change the way we view how God loves us, to fuel us to love him back and love the people around us. This is actually great timing to be able to do this because we're, we're entering into this week where we remember what Jesus has done for us. And, and we saw this, if you, if you caught this, in what we have already read. This, this is the primary way God has shown his love for us. Let's go back to 1 John 4. Let's, we'll start today. What I'm hoping you'll do is you'll take advantage of this holy week that we're coming into and opportunities to remember what Jesus has done. I'm hoping you'll take opportunity this week to marinate on these things. We're going to start, right? I'm gonna, we're going to get that kicked off this morning by marinating in this just a little bit here this morning. Let's go back to 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest... That means this is how he demonstrated it among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we need to understand what the word propitiation is, because this is a huge expression of love that God has, has given to us. Propitiation basically means what we have up here on the screen. Jesus satisfied God's demand for justice. What does that mean? See, God, God is a perfectly just, perfectly holy God. So when you and I break God's commands, when we rebel against him, when we do our own thing because we think we know better, 
when we turn against him, when we hurt people around us. That's what we can maybe relate the most to at times, is when we hurt people around us because we know how people hurt us. Whenever we break God's commands, his holiness and his perfection demand justice. There's a consequence for us breaking his commands. That consequence is death, to be separated from him. That See, see, God can't just, we, we, we would hope sometimes that God would just look the other way, wink and nod, I understand, you know, you're just a fallen human being, wink and nod, look the other way. But God can't do that. He can't let anyone off the hook. Just as, if, if you think about someone who has hurt you deeply, you think, that person should not be left off the hook for that, right? I mean, they, they should get what's coming to them, because, and they should learn a lesson from this. God, God, perfect justice, his demand for justice, says that we have to experience consequences for our sin, for our rebellion. The good news is that Jesus came to satisfy that demand for justice. See, God, God's holy and just, but he's also merciful. So his mercy says, I need to find a way to take care of your rebellion. And so Jesus came, lived a life without rebellion, lived a life without sin, lived a perfect life where he deserved nothing but accolades, glory, credit, good things. He deserved nothing but good, and and yet he said, I will stand in your place and I will take your consequence of death so that you don't have to. In this, the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of God's justice. That is the ultimate, the ultimate expression of love. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It's it's like the train of judgment was bearing down on us and Jesus stepped onto the tracks and pushed us out of the way and took the consequence for us. And not because we were great. Not, not because of anything that we did that he said, wow, you deserve that. And I, you're, you're just such a great person that I'm just going to do this for you. It's not because of us. It's because of his love. Romans 5, 7 and 8 says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that means in all of our imperfection, in all of our inconsistencies, even in our love for him, even being imperfect and inconsistent in my love for him, he still loves me in spite of that. And I don't know about you, but when I begin to grasp 
that kind of love for me. That, that motivates me to love him back, to love him with, with all that is in me. I, can I just be honest with you? I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to achieve loving God with all that is in me. I'm not going to obey this command perfectly, this, this side of heaven. But praise God that he fills in my gaps. Praise God, he, Jesus has made up for what lacks in me, and that is his love shown for me, that, that fuels my love for him. Our love for him is fueled by his love for us. So, so stop beating yourself up. I mean, maybe over these last three weeks you've been like me, and you've been like, man, I fall so far short, I can't do this. And we get so focused on what we do or can't do for God that we get... We get turned inward. Stop, stop beating yourself up for that and just say, God, help me understand your love for me more. Your love that overcame my sin. Your love that still overcomes my sin. So I would encourage you to continue the reading, continue marinating in God's love for you. And so a couple of tools to, to help you do that. If you go check out our blog, we have on our blog some scriptures there. The scriptures that we've talked about here this morning, you can go back and look all of those up. We have links to those. Um, we have links there to each of the Gospels' accounts of the suffering and the death that Jesus went through to manifest his love for us. This is the perfect week to, to meditate on those. So go spend some time. And there's, there's a few other scriptures there as well, but I just encourage you to carve out some time. If you, if you love imperfectly the people around us, the people around you, or God himself, if you love imperfectly, then you're, you're needing to be filled more with his love. You're, you're needing to be perfected more in his love so that that can flow out of you. I want to close with a, a reading from Max Lucado out of a book that he wrote called He Chose the Nails. He says, Consider what God did. He gave his son, his only son. Would you do that? Would you offer the life of your child for someone else? I wouldn't. There are those for whom I would give my life, but ask me to make a list of those for whom I would kill my daughter. The sheet would be blank. I don't need a pencil. The list has no names. But God's list contains the name of every person who ever lived. For this is the scope of his love. And this is the reason for the cross. He loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.16 As boldly as the center beam proclaims God's holiness, the crossbeam declares his love. And oh, how wide his love reaches. Aren't you glad the verse doesn't read, for God so loved the rich, or for God so loved the famous, or for God so loved the thin? It doesn't. Nor does it state, for God so loved the Europeans or the Africans, the sober or successful, the young or the old. No, when we read John 3.16, we simply and happily read, for God so loved the world. How wide is God's love? 
wide enough for the whole world. Are you included in the world? Then you are included in God's love. It's nice to be included. You aren't always. Universities exclude you if you aren't smart enough. Businesses exclude you if you aren't qualified enough. And sadly, some churches exclude you if you aren't good enough. But though they may exclude you, Christ includes you. When asked to describe the width of his love, he stretched one hand to the right and the other to the left and had them nailed in that position so you would know he died loving you. That's the love that fuels us. If your tank is empty this morning, call out to him to fill you up. It's his love that will fill you and equip you to love in return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you have made your love manifest to us through the very real, tangible sacrifice of Christ in our place because you're a holy God. You deserve our perfection and yet we are incapable of that. Um, because you're a loving God. You don't want that separation to define our eternity. And so we thank you for your love for us. And so, Father, I want to pause now and just give, give a quiet moment here for each person to reflect in, in their heart and to speak their own words to you in the quiet of their heart to invite you to fill their heart with greater love for you, for the people around them. Just give you just a moment to be still. Father, help us to know your love more deeply. Help us not to rely on ourselves to try to manufacture some kind of love out of ourselves, but just to open our hearts to what you have done for us. And Lord Jesus, help us, empower us to do better at loving, at, at, at obeying the command that you gave us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all, all of our mind, all of our strength. May we experience more of that in this life, knowing that it will be completed in the life to come when we see you as, as you are. Lord, we thank you for your love and we celebrate that now in Jesus' name. Amen.